Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. The first part of what we call the Lord's Prayer, Jesus lived. He lived that prayer. Here in our reading, this second reading of the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus prays, not my will, but yours. Or in Mark's words, yet not what I will, but what you will. Jesus lives this prayer. How can we be a people who truly live lives that are totally committed to the glory of God's name, his kingdom, his purposes and will? What would a church look like that was completely sold out for God? I have a thought, I have a picture of what it could look like. It could look like a community of transformation. I stole that, didn't I? Yeah. That's that's the vision I signed up to when I came to be part of this church. That's the vision of this church, that we will be a community of transformation. That's what a church might look like that was completely sold out on God. Not my will, but yours be done. That, that if people looked at us, if the, if the wider community looked at this community, it would see that if, if I want change, if I want transformation, if I want to be more me, if I want to find true life, it's somewhere in the midst of that community there. They are a community of transformation. But of course we, in and of ourselves, and not a community of transformation because we gather together in the presence of God. Uh, this picture is uh, present day Gethsemane. And it's there that I want us to have a look at the glory of God. Because the question I'm asking myself is how do we find that? Transformation, that commitment to say with all of our hearts, not my will but yours. Where do we find that transformation? I believe that we are transformed in the presence of God's glory. That in the presence of God's glory, that's where we're transformed. Because isn't it true of so many of us that we long for that mountaintop experience? That in the presence of God's glory, that we are just overwhelmed. It's like, take me over, God. That we're just overwhelmed, we're captivated, and, and, and it just becomes an almost natural response that we would say, not my will but yours. Because we see in that moment that there is no other who is worthy. There is no other greater. That I am not my own, but I belong to him who created me. We long for those mountaintop experiences. Some of us have had them. Some of us share those stories of our mountaintop experiences. When we might well remember that Jesus took 
Peter, James and John up on a mountaintop and was transfigured before them. His clothes turned radiant white and they were in utter awe. And there was Jesus talking with Elijah and Moses and a voice from heaven speaks out, this is my son whom I love. Listen to him. It's in the presence of God's glory that we're transformed. But we know, of course, that they did come down from that mountaintop into the valley and the first thing, or the first person that they meet is a demon-possessed person whom Jesus' disciples have not been able to drive out that demon. But we long for those mountaintop experiences. I want to take us to another mountain, the Mount of Olives. Jesus has taken his disciples up on the Mount of Olives and he's told them that they are actually going to abandon him. That in a little while they will all abandon him and Peter says, no way, I'll go with you even to the death. And we are in, have begun a series on the way of the cross. Andrew last week introduced us through, through the reading of Jesus saying, um, They who want to be my disciple must take up their cross, deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. It's a way of death. And Peter says, I'll go to you even to death. But those of us that know the story know that that's not what happens. Jesus tells Peter that before the cock crows twice, you will deny knowing me three times. And as they come down the Mount of Olives, Jesus separates from the rest of the disciples and again he has Peter, James and John. And I suggest that maybe Peter, James and John missed the glory of Jesus in this garden, in this moment. We long for that mountaintop experience but sometimes maybe we're missing the glory of Jesus all around us. And I think that the glory of Jesus is seen in his submission to the Father's will. That here in this moment of darkness, and it's literally dark, but figuratively darkness is about to overcome. Jesus is about to be arrested. The disciples will be confused. And yet in this moment, God's glory is shining brightly. What do we do when we're facing a threat or danger? Jesus has entered the garden. He's told them what's about to happen. They know what's about to happen. Or, well, they don't know. They've been told. But Jesus knows. And twice in this passage, he refers to the hour. That hour is this moment. He says... He prays to his father, falling down on the ground. He prays, if possible, the hour might pass from him. His life has been leading to this moment, this hour. And he's praying that this hour might pass from him. But we know that when he stands up and he arises, he's ready. Because he says, enough, the hour has come. And when you watch Jesus, the same Jesus that was hailed as king 
and branches waved is just as much in control. If you read those stories of his arrest, he's still ruling. There is such authority in him. And yet the beginning of our story is that he says, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. And so he knows what's coming. And he tells his disciples, stay here and keep watch. And he goes to pray. So there are different responses that we sometimes have when there is a threat or a danger or even the threat of death itself. And Jesus knows that's what lies ahead. And he prepares himself. Three times he tells them, keep watch and pray. Three times he finds them asleep. And so we're not surprised when Peter denies knowing Jesus three times. He has told them three times to pray, three times to keep watch. Three times Peter will deny knowing Jesus. So some of the ways that we sometimes respond, or have, you may have heard of the fight or flight response. And not quite in our passage, but in the passage that immediately follows, you see both of those responses from the disciples. Out comes the sword. Mark doesn't tell us, neither does Luke or Matthew who it is, but John tells us it was Peter. And he chops off the ear of the servant of the high priest. There's the fight response. When we face threat, when we face danger, these are the things, these are the ways that we might respond in a fight response. And we know only moments later they all flee. So there's the flight response. That in the face of danger, in the face of the threat of death, we may fight or we may flight. And Jesus shows us another way. Jesus submits. He doesn't fight, he doesn't flight, but he submits. He brings his will into submission with the will of the Father. He watches and he prays. And as he's watching and praying, he's bringing his will into into the submission of his Father's will. Indeed, he does express his distress and sorrow of what's about to take place. He does. But ultimately, he entrusts himself to the Father's will, the Father's good will. Not my will, but yours. What does it mean to submit? Well, it's a laying down of our rights. And you and I, we have been created with the right to choose. We are responsible, able to respond. We can choose. And when we lay down that right to choose, that is submission. And I prefer the word submit to the word surrender. I don't mind that we sing songs with the word surrender, not at all. I think, I think we often mean the same thing. 
But for me, sometimes the connotation I have of the word surrender is that of being overwhelmed. I surrender, I give up, I'm overpowered. And, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. I'm, I'm glad when God overpowers me at times. And I'm just broken and I realise, whoops, what was I doing? I'm glad that God overwhelms me at times and I say, I give up. All right, let's do it your way. I've been doing it my way, it's not working, I give up. But I find so much of our life is not in that place of constantly being overwhelmed, but rather in that place where we can hold on to our rights. Or we could submit and lay down our rights. That I am in control and able to choose and I choose to submit. Not, I'm not overpowered, I'm not overwhelmed, but in my full capacity of being able to choose and do what I want, I choose to say not my will but yours. That's submission. Maybe it doesn't sound as good as we sing it. I don't know, maybe surrender sounds better, I'm not sure. But I don't mind. When we say the word surrender, I'm thinking submit, that's fine. Sometimes I am feeling overwhelmed. But I like the word submit. But I I think the idea of submission sounds a lot better than the actual practice of it. Because that's what you have all, or the presumption is that the people of God have gathered this morning to submit to God in worship, to submit and say that you are God. You deserve our all. You deserve our everything. All that I am, all that I have is yours. Take me. Use me. We're here to submit to God. But I think that the idea of submission sounds so much better than the actual practice of it. See, I think submission is always reflected. When we talk about submitted to God, what we say is happening in the book needs to be reflected in the horizontal. When we say I'm submitted to God, that is reflected in my submission to people. That in some way, it ought to be reflected that I submit to this community. That my life is not my own, I'm a part of something bigger than myself. That I'm here in a community and there's no way that everything can be as I want it to be. I am part of the body. And this body is messy. This body isn't perfect. But I'm submitted to the body of Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Ephesians chapter 5. In 1 John 4.20 it says... Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. This, there's a direct correlation with what we say is happening between us and God ought to be reflected in what's happening between us. If I say I'm submitted to God, then it ought to be reflected in my relationships with you, with this community. Somehow, in some way, it ought to be reflected Submitted to God means somehow that's expressed in our submission to one another. What, what does that look like? I remember my mentor many, many years ago telling me he was a part of an accountability group and he said that when he um, fancied a girl, 
but he, he took that to his accountability group and was saying, well, I'd, I'd like to maybe look into this relationship. And he knew that if they went away and prayed about it and they came back and said no, <laughs> that he would listen to that. And we wouldn't dream of that. The idea, that's such an intimate thing. But who is anyone to say who I'm going to spend my life with? And because he'd shared that example with me, it's what I did before I entered into a relationship with Vivian. Uh, Seth's sick today, so the family's not here. And so I took that to a group of guys, and they prayed, and there was no yes or no. It was just, well, it looks like you're being discerning. You can continue to pursue that and see where that goes. And then I shared that with some young adults. A young adult came and he shared with me that there was a girl he was interested in. And I didn't say yes or no, but I'd prayed and I just laid it out. I said, well, this is what it looks like. And he chose not to pursue that relationship. He is now in a relationship with somebody who I think is his equal, somebody who is um, on that way of the cross, someone who will encourage him in his journey. Maybe that's at least a way in which submission could look. Maybe it's a willingness to not have my way in this church community. Maybe that's submission, that I don't get my way, that church isn't exactly how I want it to be. Maybe that's submission to the body of Christ. How is it that we quite possibly can take something that's so supposed to be about him and make it about us? That I could come and my my deepest question is, was I satisfied by the worship this morning? Or should the question be, was God satisfied by our worship this morning? Maybe that's what submission looks like. Maybe it's a willingness to lay down my rights, my preferences in the months and in the next year. I have read the strategic plan. I'm, I'm part of the strategic plan, I think. I was brought in as part of the strategic plan. And you are all part of the strategic plan. In these months and this year and next couple of years and years, that follow, there will be changes. You and I will not all get what we want. But our prayer is not my will, but yours be done, Father. We ought to be looking for, is what we end up with what God wants? Maybe it looks like an accountability. Um, Andrew has the staff, um, the, the staff have all had to write a rule of life. Um, last year in some sermons, I believe you might have been introduced possibly to a rule of life, this idea of setting out your priorities of how you want to, your life to be orientated. Andrew now has my rule of life. He knows what I've set down as priorities. Someone else knows what I've said that I would like to keep at the centre of my life, something that I would like to be doing daily, something that I would like to be doing weekly, something that I would like to be doing seasonally. Andrew's probably going to be checking in on me from time to time to just see how that's going. How are we accountable to one another for the life of faith 
for our journey on the way of the cross, for this life of transformation that we've committed ourselves to? How are we accountable to one another? How are you being encouraged? One of my favourite verses for accountability is Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Accountability is never standing over somebody and going, you haven't kept your rule of life this week. That kind of accountability never works. It only leads to condemnation. It never releases somebody. But I like this accountability, that we're alongside one another. We have uh, each other's best interests at heart and we're spurring one another on towards love and good deeds. We're encouraging one another. How are we accountable to one another? How do I understand that my life is not my own? And I'm going to say something now obvious uh, about submission. You need to decide to submit. Um, Submission requires a decision. I haven't said anything yet, have I? Because that's almost like a given. But, But is it? In today's day and age, I think it's hard to commit. It's hard to decide. It's hard to say, this is a priority and I'm committed to it. This is, this is by no means a go at young people, but I, I was working with young people in youth, youth ministry, and um, as I saw this play out, it, it wasn't just young people I saw this from, it's actually our times, our culture, which struggles to commit. And so I used to have to you know, organise events, and you'd send out an invitation, and um, when youth said yes, they really meant maybe, and when they said maybe, they really meant no, And when they said no, it really meant no way, why have you even asked me? But but that's true of all of us. That's not just young people. Who has trouble RSVPing? Uh, But but before we start judging ourselves, it's actually not a judgement statement. It might sound like one. But sometimes we just need to understand there's a whole lot of reasons why people struggle to decide. Sometimes we're just overwhelmed. There's just so much coming into my inbox. There's so much to go through. There's so much information. Sometimes we struggle because we're just overwhelmed. All the more reason why sometimes we need to retreat. Sometimes we need to make space for God to consider what our priorities are. Choice also involves loss. That can be another problem. Did you know that? I I came to understand that choice involves loss, that if you choose one thing, there's a loss. As a community, we're going to make choices in the months, years ahead, and choice means loss. Loss means grief. If we won't accept the grief and the loss that will come, we may not be able to take hold of what God has for us. We may not be able to say, not my will, but yours, if we won't except loss. When you choose to do one thing, you're choosing not to do something else. In fact, decide actually shares its origin, the etymology of decide shares its etymology with words like homicide, suicide, genocide. 
it's the idea of cutting or killing. So when you decide, you kill off an option. Strong language. Isn't it the language that Jesus chooses? Deny yourself, take up your cross. Take up your cross. You're killing something. And you know what you discover? It's not actually killing something. It's yourself. You're willing to die that you might live, that you might truly live. There is a part of myself that holds this other self. I'm a new creation, but it's not manifest all the time. I am a new creation, it's true, but it's just not manifest. It's not seen all the time. And unless I'm willing to kill off this other self, this other self isn't made manifest. It's not visible. It will become visible when Jesus returns. It'll be made visible and I'll be like him because I will see him as he is. Right now, I have, a, I have to discipline myself to see Jesus in his glory. And here in the garden, he's in his glory as he submits himself to the Father's will. We might find our own glory in that same place, in submission to our good Father's will. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. And I know I've made it sound like there's Jesus, he's our example, and we should do likewise. I just want to be careful that when you read this story, Jesus knew his disciples were not going to be able to do likewise. He asked them to watch and pray, but he knew they weren't going to be able to. It's why he encouraged Peter to encourage the other disciples when he's been restored. He knew they wouldn't be Jesus is doing what only he could do, which is offering up perfect obedience to the Father. And Jesus' perfect submission has made all who trust him recipients of the life of God through the Holy Spirit. Only Jesus could do that. Jesus' perfect submission has given us access to God through the Holy Spirit who lives in us. And so I can't perfectly submit in and of myself, but if Christ lives in me, I can. It's the life of Christ living in us that enables us to do things. It's why in Galatians 20, in Galatians 2.20, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Why am I able to submit to Jesus? Why am I able to submit to God? Because Jesus already did it first. That as he submitted to the Father, in one sense, he submitted himself, in one sense, to us, to the world, to the powers of this world who arrested him and crucified him. Mark's great verse is, For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus came to serve. Jesus lays down his rights as he serves us. That's why I'm free 
I'm freed up to serve him and serve one another. The life of faith in the Son of God is a life of following Jesus in the way of the cross. It's death to myself so that Christ can live in me. And it's not really death to yourself. I'm so conscious that as I keep saying that, it's not like Eastern religious, some Eastern religions where it's you become absorbed into the godness and you're just absorbed and gone. God has created you uniquely, on purpose. He wants that to shine forth. But as you die to that part of yourself that is bent inward on itself, then your true life is found in Christ and you shine more brilliantly. The way of the cross is a life of submission to our Lord and King Jesus Christ. And we're looking to be transformed into vessels Vessels so that God's transforming presence can be seen in us. To be an authentic expression of God's transforming presence in Emerald and the Hills. That's our mission. To be an authentic expression of God's transforming presence in Emerald and the Hills. You and I and this community are not going to transform people. It's God's presence in us. So it's dying to ourselves so that Christ can live in us. And transformation to become a vessel of God or transformation to become a vessel for God's transforming presence begins when we make space for God's presence in our lives. When we make space for God's presence in our life, that's how we become transformed. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done in us as in heaven. Amen.